We are not what other people say we are. We are who we know ourselves to be. And we are what we love. That's okay. Laverne Cox Bending Not Breaking Pride and the Dragon Prince Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I am your host, Ben Pruitt, and I am so thrilled that we've had such an amazing week talking about Pride with Jesse and Akalia, with Rena Inigwe, and talking about all these moments of Pride and the Dragon Prince. And this episode is really special because we are lucky once more to have a very special guest. And I don't want to spoil it, so I'll uh, just wait till you get to hear from our guest. But uh, I just want to be thankful for all of you who have been listening, for the people who have been enjoying our content on Pride, because we are just really thankful to celebrate Pride this month with all of these amazing people who are talking about this with us and who have been engaging with us on social media, and I'm just really thankful for all of you. So I'm hoping that uh, you will continue to enjoy our podcast and check in as we dive back into The Legend of Korra soon. But before we get back to Korra, we're also going to take some time to talk about Pride in Avatar. So we are going to dive into that next week with some episodes about Pride and Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra and all the comics and maybe even some of the Kyoshi novels. But with that in mind, uh, we are thankful Again, just to, to be present, to be able to talk about pride with, with love and joy. And I'm just thankful for these episodes and for our guests. So thank you all for being a part of that. That said, I want to make sure that you know that we have a Patreon with extra perks. Uh, BNB underscore pod is where you can find that on Patreon. We have lots of cool things going there. And we also would love for you to follow us and engage with us on bnb underscore pod on all the social media handles instagram twitter we even have a tiktok that tiktok has a lot of various content with my uh, co-host for the main uh, portion of the podcast so all in all there's a lot there's a lot for you to enjoy and i hope that you uh take some time to, to check all those things out but i know why you're here you've been waiting for this lovely episode with our special guest. And so without further ado, let's dive in to our next conversation discussing Pride and the Dragon Prince. everybody we have another guest for today and i am so pleased to introduce devin Giel. devin utilizes she her pronouns and she is the lead writer at wonderstorm which was responsible for producing dragon prince so devin i am just thrilled to have you here today how are you hi i'm great um it's a sunday and my husband made me a breakfast burrito so i think there's like no better way to exist on a sunday than that so yeah right. that's that how are you doing quite lovely man i've had a fairly lazy sunday i had to go grocery shopping which was not ideal um worst I, especially on sundays i don't love grocery mm -hmm. shopping on sundays um it feels like the world is out to get you uh alas we are here and we made it <laughs> uh to this conversation so i'm just so so excited to have you on thank you for agreeing to join us thank you so much for having me i was really excited to to be invited so hey. so i'm gonna be a little little curious for a minute i right. want to know if you're willing to share what what does it mean to be the lead writer on a show like the dragon prince because i have lots of visions of what that could mean but rather than me pretending i'd love to just hear from you <laughs> ah, i mean it can mean a lot of things um typically it in a in animation 
um, we, we have at Wonderstorm what's called a writer's room, which is a group of, uh, I think it's four writers, a writer's assistant, me, the lead writer, and the co-creators, Aaron and Justin, um, and a showrunner, which is now Vilas. You'll recognize his name is yeah. namesake of the blind pirate in season two. Um, so typically the whole entire team is responsible for sort of like brainstorming and breaking and story, you know, pitching and stuff like that. The co-creators and the showrunners are sort of the ones that, that choose the direction of the overall story. Um, I, as lead writer, have some say in that, but, but largely my responsibilities are at a script level where I make sure the scripts are shored up. I give a whole lot of notes. I guide the other writers in structuring their own scripts and outlines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I go to records, I sort of like help voice direct. Um, and I do a lot of like revisions uh, and just, just all sorts of like word level uh, messing with, with the scripts as they're in progress. Um, yeah. And on top of that, like as lead writer at Wonderstorm, I'm involved in other projects as well that may or may not ever see the light of day. Hopefully they do cross your fingers. Fingers crossed, um, yeah. That's it, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very broad, sort of many hats kind of a title, um, but I'm really happy to, to do it. It's it's sort of a dream job of sorts, even though it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds incredible. It sounds like you get to be creative as well as very diligent. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of decision-making is the thing that I don't think a lot of people realize is mm. that so much of, of writing is choices and making hopefully smart choices about you know what makes it from draft to screen in the long run um yeah it's all very highly collaborative is the other thing uh, the whole team is fantastic and i'm grateful to work with them every day yeah i as a person who doesn't love making choices i i can see how that would be a very difficult job for me stuff <laughs> you get used to it though you get kind of ruthless <laughs> yeah wow okay just you are the the barrier through which a lot of these little nitpicky lines get through it sounds like so who knows sure with the discretion of the the showrunners get to tell me no and yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I try we we we, we sorted out yeah so tell me this uh how long have you been with with Wonderstorm have you been there from the beginning like what's what's your story in terms of how how did you find the Dragon Prince um well, it's yes, I've, I've actually been there from the literal beginning. Um, Wonderstorm was founded by Aaron Ehuz and Justin Richmond and Justin Santa Steven in 2015, I think. And uh, I actually worked with Aaron and Justin at Riot Games before that as a writer on an R&D project. And when they left to go start Wonderstorm, um, I knew that they wanted to spin up this project and when they invited me sort of like would you also like to be a part of this i had the, the fortune the good fortune of, of i was still dating ian at the time and he had a job so i was able to go work for the baby company and it was just getting off its you know getting onto its feet yeah and i helped sort of shape the dragon prince pitch which we eventually sold to netflix um so i've been there literally since the thing was was just sort of like notes in a document wow. that's um, incredible yeah it is pretty wild i I still think back to those early days. And sometimes I dig up like really old documents that look nothing like what the Dragon Prince ended up feeling like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a while. <laughs> wow. From the very beginning. That's amazing. I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering what it's like to watch something that, you know, started from scratch and is becoming something that is so, it's continuing to grow in popularity. It has a, a cult following and slowly growing into more and more of a following every day. I, I'm just kind of in awe of being in a part of that from the beginning. That seems really incredible. It, it has been very incredible and very humbling and also very rewarding. I mean, like working on the Dragon Prince, I've related to what we will be talking about later. I've gotten to, to pour a lot of myself and my, my sort of like mm. identity and beliefs and, and sort of like vision for what good storytelling should be and what it should include into the show. And I'm really glad to see that that has resonated with so many people. Um, and it's also a little terrifying because we have to keep making it. And yeah. <laughs> like I said, like, because all writing is choices, like, like so, so many things are just our choices that we have made and we'll stick by and hope for the wow. best. Um, but that's, I, I guess I've just got the like, oh, season four is coming kind of nerves, but uh, yeah. it should be good. I'm so excited. Uh, there's so many, so many good things. Yeah, judging by everyone that I've talked to, everyone has been, who is at least has a piece of what's going on behind the scenes has been like, 
thrilled with the direction it's been going. Good, so, yay! Um, it's very exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm as you know, this episode in particular is uh, really these series of episodes that we're doing uh, right now are all about Pride because it's Pride Month in the United States, yes. and I'm curious what pride means to you like what where does it where does it fall in your life does it fall in your life what is pride and what does it mean to you oh gosh um well I I suppose without dumping my entire backstory on you and the audience I uh, identify as a bisexual woman and growing up I was a big animation fan growing up and um I had a lot of sort of like formative experiences with with that identity that led me to seek entertainment and content and stories that reflected the things that I was going through and the things that I was feeling in a way that, you know, what's the right word? Uh, Very bluntly, a lot of the content that I could find to, to help me sort through these feelings was for adults. If you, if you catch my drift, it was a lot of very, uh, uh, not safe for work kind of content. And that wasn't really what I was looking for as a young person it kind of sold me the wrong idea of like what it means to to be a queer person. Um, mm. It was very rooted in in sexuality and and this these sort of uh, grown up experiences. So what I wanted was was entertainment targeted at me that sort of told me stories about who I was and what I what I could be and and really helped me exist in the world. Um, and it didn't exist like at all. Yeah. <laughs> it really didn't. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up very frustrated that, that you know, that wasn't a thing. And so I, I really did sort of like stubbornly swear to myself when I was young that if I ever worked in animation, that would be something that I wanted to represent and wanted to bring to my work. Um, and if you had told me that I would have been able to do it on the first real cartoon that I worked on, I would not have believed you when I was young because I thought it was going to take years and years. I might even like die before um, queer representation was possible in entertainment for young people. Um, so I don't, this is not really answering what pride is to me, is it? Um, it's very helpful it's, content. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's pride. It's it's uh, this ability to see yourself in the world around you and be proud of it, and um, you know, uh, see yourself in experiences and fantasies and you know worlds beyond yourself that aren't just stories about like and here's the time I came out to my parents and it was actually okay it's just I wanted stories where there was queer people on adventures slaying dragons and and raising swords and then you know the 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 girl gets the princess in the end etc etc these are all the sort of like formative stories that didn't exist for me so as a grown-up working on the dragon prince pride means very very openly building worlds that in which these identities are core to it. They're just a part of the the fabric of of the Dragon Prince universe. And, you know, without really pointing a camera on the characters that identify as queer and saying like, here's a queer character, everyone, let's like really get into what that means on a on a social context to the world sense. Yeah. It's it's very much just like this person is who they are. And the, in the context of the story, they are part of the bigger picture. Um, they are not limited to that piece of themselves. Um, it's a very rambling way to say, as a bisexual kid, I was confused and frustrated, and I just wanted content that told me cool stories about queer people, and now I get to make those, so I oh. do so to the best of my ability. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible, and I, I think you answered it perfectly, so that, that helps us know where you stand and where you're coming from, and a little bit of your history and background for context for the conversation we're having and about to have, so I, I was, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm thrilled to kind of hear that for you it's it's wonderful um thank you i'm particularly interested in this uh, you know difference you've kind of put before us around media that is previously the only media available was not suitable suitable for work versus the media that we are starting to get um like the dragon prince that is has it's more about identity and less about your sexuality. Um, and I, I think that that's a really important thing that you're kind of pointing us in the direction of, of why it's important to differentiate between those two things. Um, so, yeah. I definitely think in, in terms of the greater 
scope of queer media, there's plenty of space for, you know, adult content and that's its own beast. But um, in terms of, I mean, queer people typically, not typically, that's the wrong word, but a lot of queer people know that they're queer from a very young age. And it is incorrect to assume that we should save exploration of that and celebration of that until, you know, they are adulthood and can engage with the the full scope of, of queer content. I think it's important that they see themselves in stories that are about older people, about people their age, and you know, be able to sort of like see themselves having a rich life that isn't defined along this narrow scope of being queer. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, like I said, when I grow when I was growing up, it was either bluntly, it was you're here's some porn about that identity, yeah. or here's a coming out story, which are typically at the time they were very like tragic they were about people being thrown out of their homes and people being ostracized and they were very very like difficult stories and those were the two stories you could tell yourself was sex and rejection yeah and so i was like but what about slaying a dragon and kissing a princess (laughs) so that to me is very much the type of queer storytelling that i fall in love with and and want to provide for young people who find themselves in the same place that i was when when i was their age so that's that's really the crux of it is Celebration of your identity and who you are should should come as early as it comes to you yourself. And mm-hmm. and I want to m- make cartoons to let you do that, as yeah. silly as it sounds. Well, I think, that, again, you're giving us this really nice differential between what we like want to see versus what we've been given. And having so much access to queer trauma in media suggests that like okay being queer is the most traumatic thing (laughs) and yeah it's gonna suck it's gonna be terrible (laughs) yeah um and again like giving this wholesome fantasy right of what it can be allows us to picture ourselves that way and to see it and to envision ourselves in a new way and that's one of the reasons I love the dragon prince it's also one of the reasons I've really enjoyed heartstopper on Netflix recently right it's a it is queer joy right and it's yeah it's a a joyful one yeah but I I digress I I think that um I think I really appreciate how you're giving us this uh, painting a picture of how necessary it is to have different kinds of representation, right, in in media. Yeah, and I definitely think it's it's more important than ever. I I was a little naive a handful of years ago and thought, you know, yeah, we can get it, we can we can do so much now, and yeah. you know, without getting too into the wider scope of the world and being depressed about it, there's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of danger, uh, I think, very real danger to queer people in the world right now. And I think that makes the job of entertainment all the more important. And we, we it is a form of a fight to continue to yeah. believe that these things are important and to put them out there and to let kids see that there is a world removed from that fear of growing up in a world that's treating them currently in, in this light. Yeah. Um, and so, We'll, we'll keep doing it. Here, here. Awesome. Okay, well, that brings us to kind of the core of our conversation today, which is we have kind of charged you with this task of finding a, a scene or a relationship or a moment in the show that has we've seen so far um, where we've seen a, a pride moment and whatever that means to you. And we'd love to kind of uh, hear your story around why you picked your moment and then we'll go from there. Am I allowed to cheat and pick two, but the first one will be very quick. Yeah. The second one will be the one that's more personal. Absolutely. Um, the, the, this, the first one's a little bit more meta and more about like me and my career. Um, and the second one's just me being a ball of cheese about the types of stories I actually really love. <laughs> um, the first one I want to mention is the moment in season two where the Queens of Durin kiss after yep. they defeat the Magma Titan and realize that they can save their people. Um, the reason this one's important to me is it was the first time we managed to do this. It was a big deal because we weren't entirely sure if we were going to be allowed to. Like this was, we wrote it into the script and and sent it off to Netflix and we're like, gee, I hope we don't get in trouble. You know, like I really hope that nobody's gonna throw an enormous, you know, wrench in this because this is, we're, we're sort of testing the waters and exploring what, what content we really can, you know, create 
and mm -hmm. what what the dragon prince looks like in the way we want it to look like versus what pushback we might get from the people who more or less allow us to make the show um yeah. and it was incredibly rewarding because they didn't nobody there was no pushback on that front whatsoever um and so i bring this one up not because it's necessarily like the, the greatest story moment of all time but like the fact that we could actually have them both be the queens of durin and have that be unambiguously a romantic relationship between them because we, we wanted this shot in which they kissed out of you know joy and happiness that they had been successful that really gave us the go-ahead to to make this a part of the dragon prince in the way that we really yeah. wanted to but hadn't necessarily done so far um it's not that we hadn't thought about it because we definitely had Athari in the end credits of you know yeah. the first episode but it was the first time we were like really saying like okay here is sort of a testing the waters on what this can and cannot be and we were yeah. like overjoyed to find out that netflix was going to be an enormous ally on this front and allow us to build the world with this as a part of its core texture that yeah. people in this world are queer and it's not looked down upon it's not a, a source of conflict it's just it's definitely just accepted and yeah. great it's really powerful to me that Brina, you and jesse all picked this as something that is so important to them Really, I had no. I I was actually curious what everyone else picked, and I was worried no one picked this one because it's oh, more no. of a production-focused moment. Yeah. That's not true, but it. But for the people behind the scenes, I felt like it was very important. Um, perhaps more so than it felt to the audience at the time. Yeah, this was a moment that was definitely mentioned by, and they everybody had more than one, so <laughs> you're not alone there either. But yeah, I, I think it's really fascinating that this was a core moment for for all of you. And I mean, honestly, that wasn't a moment that when I was thinking of all the queer moments, I was like, that one wasn't probably in my top couple of lists for me personally. So it's really incredible to hear how, how important it is for the three of you, um, which is just, there's, there's no judgment there. It's just like, wow, that's so cool to-, to I think, think it, no, I, I think I totally understand why. And that really is the, the sort of disconnect between, and uh, disconnect's the wrong word, but there's this, gulf of knowledge between like everything that goes into something from behind the scenes mm. versus what ends up being yeah. on in the final product and if you're looking at it as a fan i totally understand that it's it's very quick it's a little chased even like it's a little bit it's yeah. a cute peck we were testing like i said we were really hoping to god that we could get away with this one thing yeah and we did and then we started to feel more comfortable in including this in, in a much more, a bigger way. And so I think yeah. like from the, from the final product, it's like, cool, they got it in sweet, a little, a little moment, but it came with months of just stress and wondering like, yeah. is somebody going to step in and stop us? Like is at what point do we get an email from somebody higher up at Netflix saying, what the hell are you doing? Yep. Um, and that never happened. So it was very much like, okay, we're, we're really doing we're gonna, this now we're, 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 we're we really have, we, we've really been gifted almost the ability to build this into our show and from there on we were much more bold about it so yeah. i think that's why it's so important to everybody behind the scenes because we were kind of like are we going to get stopped are we going to get stopped and then yeah. we weren't and so every time i see it i'm just like yes yeah um, phenomenal and, and i love this idea of approval right and we're we want to do this but we don't know if we're going to get allowed to do this and so we're going to like push the button a little bit and see if we can get this through and then it turns out it's like no it's totally fine what, what's been what's been stopping you like <laughs> um yeah and so many queer creators have had this experience myself included where they've attempted earlier in their careers to do something even yeah. softer than this like the lightest touch of all time and they've been like thoroughly shut down or like they've had it thoroughly gutted and they've personally suffered in their like work status and their their politics in their workplaces because they've attempted to push these things and so everybody behind the scenes is sort of just like hey what if just a little you know like there's this i don't want to say hesitation but there's this this sort of like ingrained fear that it's going to cost Absolutely. you um it will get you will be clapped back for it yep. um and so for this moment to receive none of that during development it was just like so refreshing it was so yeah. freeing to be able to put this in and 
and then run with it, I guess. Um, so that's why I bring it up. That's why I wanted to do too. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, for me, I've been on the receiving end of both of those emails. The one where it's like, yeah, what? go ahead, please do that. And then mm-hmm, I've also mm-hmm. been on the receiving end of, nope, you can't do that. That's too yeah, much. Please stop. Uh, um, you've overstepped and now you're in trouble. And you're yeah. Like, and it's, it's, there's this weird uh, feeling you get when something goes through, you thought wasn't going to be allowed. And you're like, really? Okay. Wow. Yeah, you're kind of looking around like, like hold on what's the catch what's the catch I feel like i'm getting away with murder but i'm really getting away with like doing the right thing like uh yeah um, but yeah it's this this weird uh cultural like i don't what's the right word this uh barrier that we don't that we it's unfair because it's like walking on eggshells for us when we are attempting to uh, pursue this this queer the queer agenda so to speak and mm-hmm. and we don't know like we're gonna we're walking on eggshells because like I don't want to crack the egg but at some point you got to start making moves and I love this story of how it just it went through and it was a totally safe spot and I'm so thrilled that Netflix is kind of being a an ally in that respect yeah in animation it's been we felt very supported on this front in particular um can't speak highly enough of Netflix animation in terms of queer representation they're all about it and they're ludicrously supportive down to the I mean they've hooked us up with glad and gave us like you know consultation on the content content we we write and create and it's just thank you Netflix if you're listening to this we very appreciate everything that started with the Queens of Duran yeah okay well that's that's incredible I'm I'm thrilled that we kind of got to hear the the backstory on that I had no idea that that was what was what was being felt on the back end so that's lovely uh what's your next moment uh predictably um in episode 303 uh, season three episode three ghost there's a moment where Renan and Athari kiss at the lotus pond um and this one's important to me for like a million reasons uh a lot of them self-indulgent um let me see Starting off, Renan is named after one of my own characters, my night elf hunter from World of Warcraft. And I had always oh, pictured cool. that character as a gay man. So when we, when I was allowed to name the Dragon Prince character with that as his namesake, I, I sort of had this very like, well, he's got to sort of follow the same yeah, naturally. Character, <laughs> character identity. I mean, it's just the, that's the case if you want this name. And so it was sort of known from the beginning, but we were never really sure if we were going to be allowed to put it in in any capacity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was from the beginning, this was my perception of him. This was the team's perception of him, but we were, again, totally unsure if we were ever going to be able to do anything with it. Um, the other thing about that scene is that it wasn't actually in the first draft of the script that me and Ian Hendry, who's actually my husband, wrote. We wrote 303 Ghost. Um, and I look back on that and I, I wonder if that, that sort of like fear caught me again, that that's mm. like, can I get away with this? Cause we were already writing an episode where a man calls another man, his husband. And it's all this sort of like sad story of their, their separation and how it affected the rest of the cast. And I, again, like it wasn't in the first draft. It was just Rayla describing the scene. And um, when we got it to table draft, which is a couple drafts in, I think it's like typically writers do a first draft. Um, showrunners and lead writers give notes on a second draft and then a table draft is when the whole team sort of like puts the screen puts the script on the screen and fiddles with it until we're all happy with how it comes out it was in the table draft that we decided that visually instead of Rayla just narrating this piece over the pool we would physically go fully to flashback and we would see the assassins put the things in or the lotuses in and do the the sort of ceremony yeah instead of it just being VO um and at that stage, we were all sitting there. And I think it was Aaron who said, like, he should kiss him. Like, why wouldn't he? This is a <laughs> heartfelt goodbye. And we all kind of went like, of course, of course. And we were so, so, so excited by writing this into the script because it felt so right. And we'd give yeah. ourselves the opportunity to do it. And again, like, I think back to the first draft and think it should have been there from the beginning. But even I might have been not being bold enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it took the entire team's boldness um, to really get it in there. And then Bardell just took it and ran with it. The animator who did that scene is a queer person and they put their entire heart into it and you can see it. Oh. Like you could just, you can absolutely tell that this is like somebody who wasn't afraid to make this kind oh, of yeah. one of the most beautiful, best animated sh- shots in the show. Yeah. Um, so there's so much that goes into it. Um, and I just think it's a really beautiful scene. I, I really think it's 
and the, the music that plays over it is beautiful. It was just, it's really like my pride and joy because it's one of my episodes, a character who's very close to my heart and uh, just everything about it sort of came together perfectly to be this, everybody firing on all cylinders, boldly oh, putting this into the show. And again, like received absolutely no pushback. I still had that fear that we were gonna get an email that said, you gotta take the kiss out because it was too much or something, or you gotta tone it down. Um, and we never got any of those. It was completely supported all the way through. Yeah. And so it's kind of a little triumph. I know it's in the grand scope of everything. It's a very small thing, but it means the world to me. Um, and I'm so, so, so proud of the team for fully embracing it and getting it in there. Yeah. Well, and I think the, I think what's so beautiful about this moment is how small of a moment this, like how this should be such an insignificant <laughs> like it's they just kissed it's normal it's like what is this yeah. but it feels so monumental because of how lacking the rest of this media it, it is in queer content and so mm -hmm. this this moment is really so big just like the moment with the queens of Durin. it is so big because of what it means and what it represents it's it's, it's so much more than a kiss in both instances and I love how the feelings y'all had in this room kind of like illustrates that a little bit and shows us like, oh, this is way bigger than just like writing a kiss onto a page. There's so much more involved. And I, I just, I love that we're kind of getting that picture from you. Uh, and I hope that the people who are listening get that picture too, because it's just what a privilege it is to kind of hear how much goes into moments like this. Oh, so much goes into it. And that's one thing I like, I try to, every time I get the opportunity to talk about the behind the scenes, I try to, not just on anything queer, just in general, there's every mm. single thing that goes into animation is like a monumental achievement. And I don't understand how we even make cartoons. It seems impossible <laughs> while you're in the middle of it, but at the end of the, the end of the process, you have a cartoon. And, and these moments, the ones that you really pour your entire heart into mean the most, because you know when they're done, you have this sort of like thing you can watch and, and remember everything, everything that you felt along the process of making it. And yeah, for the for the viewer, it's this fleeting moment, which means a lot. I, I don't mean to diminish the, the viewer experience even a little bit, but but it is it's this very strange magic to to see the final thing every single time. So yeah, hooray. yeah, it's interesting to me to hear uh, kind of picture the difference between some voice actors in the show that they're on and some voice actors never watch the final product. They just like it. They're in, they're out, and they never watch it, and they're just like cool that was my job <laughs> um and then but everybody I've kind of been talking to and like even the stories that they tell it seems like everyone wants to see this final product and <laughs> everybody's kind of bought into the story wants to see what's going on wants to see how it turns out and it's just the the level of investment on all sides is is clear and evident and that's just it it shows again how much this means not just to the queer <laughs> uh viewers but to to kind of everyone involved Oh, I'm so glad. I really, I, I, shout outs to our actors. I appreciate them so, so much. And their input on the characters along the way has hugely shaped sort of like the directions we've taken them. Yeah. And, you know, we, we really take the weight that they bring to, to their performances so, so seriously, because I don't know, I always have this, this thing where sometimes I look at lines on the page and I'm like, mm -mm, this sucks. This isn't going to play. Like <laughs> it's going to feel flat. And then the actors just make me wrong. And it feel, I'm like, well, you made my writing good just because you said it better than it is on the page. And that's always very rewarding too. Cause I feel like we get away with a lot because the actors take the thing that I feel is sort of working and then they make it work because they're brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I, this is a small story. I, I had to write a, um, a speech that I had to give. And one of it, I was, I was quoting somebody else in the speech multiple times. And I was like, how do I say this this way? Like, and because I would say it, I would hear myself say, I was like, that's not how I want to say it. How do I, how? How do you say <laughs> and, it good? Yeah. Like, yeah, I just want to say, say it good. Right <laughs> and, and like the, and I couldn't, I had to do it like a hundred times before I figured it out. And I just had a whole new appreciation for voice acting because it was unreal. Like it was like three or four words. I was like, I don't, this, this shouldn't be this difficult. <laughs> Actors are wizards. I don't know. Every, they'd make me cry all the time too with yeah, stuff oh, that amazing. I've seen a hundred times on the script. And I'm like, it's different now because you said it with your voice. So yeah, amazing. Shout outs, love them.
here, here. Okay. Well, we've kind of, uh, you've got given us this beautiful picture of, a, of two moments that are uh, kind of this behind the scenes moments and what it's kind of been like to push those on. I'm curious if I could ask one more kind of question for you and either about both or about one of them, you can kind of pick, but when you are watching this after post, you've done the production, it's out there in the world and you are now watching and consuming this and you see this on screen. I'm curious, what are the, the feelings that come up for you um, as these moments pass? Um, once they're out in the world, I, I mean, Ian and I always stay up really late on the night of release and we open a bottle of wine and just watch the final product. And I, I suppose that in that moment, we're really hoping that people are watching along with us and, and having all of the same reactions to the things that we really intended and the things we really, really worked for in terms of like getting everything to land correctly and feel good or be funny and, um, you know, make people sad. I always want to make people sad. I'll admit it. I, all oh, of the yeah. sad, a lot of the sad moments in upcoming seasons are like things that I'm very proud of. Um, <laughs> get ready. Um, but it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to put myself into the audience and, and remove myself from the sort of like two plus years of having worked on these things for them to go by so quickly. And yeah. just think like, if I'm seeing this for the first time, I hope to God it's working, you know, cause I, you're almost too caught up in remembering what it was three versions ago. It had this problem. It, you know, we adjusted this shot so many times for these reasons. Uh, it's I'm trying to dump all of that out of my brain and just kind of like enjoy the thing that we ultimately made and mm. hoping and praying that other people like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least like parts of it. I don't, you don't have to like everything, but if you like, if, if you get anything out of it at all along the way, I feel like we've done something well. Um, yeah. Because I don't think you can please everybody, uh, but if you give someone a little thing to 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 grasp and hold and remember and think about, I think that's a tiny reward in of itself. Yeah, I, I forgive me for being a little biased, but I I find that this show and there not every show can do this, but in a lot of it is the way that we treat it on the podcast, right? We are intentionally. Uh, looking at it and analyzing it in a certain way. But what the Dragon Prince does is even though we are escaping to this world of Zadia and the the whole world of, is there a, a full world term or is Zadia just Zadia is? The whole world is Zadia. That's what um, I thought, yeah. And it's just that there's a border and the Western half of Zadia has become the human kingdoms is yeah. That's what sort of the intent. Jesse and, I, <laughs> Jesse and I, had, we were like, wait a second, is Zadia and then the other side, what do we call it? Um, but thank you for clarifying. But when even as we escape to this fantasy world of Zadia, we are getting a better picture of how better to live in our own worlds because of watching and listening and hearing these very real conversations and very real emotions that are happening in this show that are so so helpful for us to learn for how to work in in our own world and this this show is very exceptional at doing that because the closer you get to better representation in my opinion the better we are at living into the values and things that are going on in that show and I, I think that the Dragon Prince does that exceptionally well. And I'm, I'm just so excited because I, I remember when season one came out and I was talking to my co-host for the podcast who does it with me for the Avatar portions. And we were like, we should do this. This is, this is it. This is, a, this is another, this is another show that has the potential to do something and I was like and at that time there was no one else who was touching it yet because it was so new and I was like we got to get on this we got <laughs> like this is so important and um yeah for, from the very beginning it has felt something like it has been impactful necessary important um and so it's it's the reason I I say that is because it feels like it's so much more than liking it right it it liking it is almost like a side thing <laughs> like this is uh 
liking it as just like, cool, cool, cool. Well, you watch it once and it's done versus like, no, this is like a meaningful piece of art that has been put out into the world. So sorry, I'm, I'm dancing on a little pedestal right now, but it's a, it's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) It really means a lot. I mean, like I'm, I'm always, again, kind of up in my head about it and I sometimes don't know how to feel. And I think a lot of writers have that same experience where they put something out into the world. Um, and they have the sense of like, I really don't know what people will get from this, but I sure hope it's something that helps them navigate the complexities of life in a way that's meaningful to them. Um, I can't control exactly what that lesson is. Like I like nothing about the Dragon Prince is necessarily intended to be a guidebook on, on yeah. how to navigate the, the, the complex universe um, and the morality that exists within. Um, but I, I think it is supposed to, you know, convey messages of strength and resolve and and believing in things that that feel true and good, and having the guts to to pursue those things yeah. and not bending, you know, uh, to them because they are strong. Those forces are strong. Um, yeah. And so that's that's what I hope. Like regardless of, I could I could even nitpick the writing in the Dragon Prince myself all day every day, but I mean. To a lesser extent, <laughs> that's less important to me than, but did you think about it in a way that was meaningful? And um, yeah. what did you take from it? And if so, I hope it is something that stays with you for a while. Um, that's really the best anyone can hope for, I think, at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. And let me be real. Like, we also learn about what not to do, right? We, we, we hear from you know the people who are not so good on the show, morality-wise, that we're like, oh, we're going to not act that way. Yeah, I think I disagree <laughs> with this person. Yeah. yeah. I, and well, and it's fine, but. Well, and I think that's what's so complicated about Viren is there's this huge following uh, for Viren uh, that are like, no, no, Viren's right the whole time. And I'm just like, hold on. Like you're missing something. <laughs> um, forgive me. I, again, my bias is coming through, but. Um, there's uh, a Viren's of- my favorite character to write for, so Viren's incredible, right? And <laughs> he's so Jason, messed up. I love him. Jason's so fun to talk to because Jason is clearly a Viren stan, and hearing him kind of like defend Viren in some ways is like, <laughs> I'm just like, you are, you're turning into him. <laughs> Jason is first of all a massive troll, and <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. But he's also like, he brought such heart and and depth and complexity yeah. and pain to Viren as a character that like like that's Jason is honestly a big chunk of the reason why Viren is my favorite character because it just became so fun to write for him to read there's yeah. a scene in I, we're, we're way off topic but I can't not talk about Viren for a second there's a scene in I think <laughs> in season two when he goes down to the the basement and he tries to the thing where he puts the drops in his eyes yep and he sees himself in the mirror and he yells at the mirror but also himself you know you're supposed to be someone something important that was a huge and he looks like heartbroken and he's full of all this self-loathing and he flips the table over and I don't know it's just like it's such an emotional visceral outburst for a character that has done such evil to the main cast that that I find him very uh compelling and and human and flawed and just like uh he's so fun and so as a writer I'm just like yeah I'll write Viren all day every day um and I really love to see people argue about what they feel about him because I feel like he's so polarizing yeah Yeah. I love it and it's the polarizing characters that are just like so juicy so again I I love him I love Viren as well so anyway that scene Jason killed it and that's when I was like perfect perfect man perfect character so he is he is just a perfect man he's wonderful he's a perfect man he's just a great guy he's got no issues yeah none at all no (laughs) oh wow okay well we have had a very fruitful conversation i'm thrilled that we've kind of been able to hear some of the things that are going on behind the scenes and some of the things that happen afterwards when it's completely out of your hands and what what goes on in your thoughts and feelings and there's just so much there um but we always want to make sure we're ending our episodes on gratitude and i would love to kind of cast this question to you in light of our conversation today who is a character from the dragon prince that you are grateful for? Viren, no, just kidding, I, I am, but <laughs> no, my actual answer is uh, indulgent again. I do, I wanna go back to Runan for a second as sort yeah. of like a character that's very important to me, um, both because he's named after one of my old characters and because I've just thought a lot about him. Um, 
in the first time we see him in the first few episodes, he's almost at least partially an antagonist. He's this unmoving, uncompromising assassin badass who just like will not hear reason almost. He's incredibly strict. He has his feelings on like an almost problematic level of lockdown. Um, but when we go to the kiss scene and his scene with Athari, he's so soft and like that's yeah. a part of him that he's not ashamed of. Like this part of him is not on lockdown whatsoever. And in front of all of his assassins to whom he is a leader, a person of strength and a pillar of resolve and you know, the person they look to to get them home safe he still takes this moment to kiss his husband as though they yeah. aren't there is, is this moment full of love and vulnerability. And I really think that that says a lot about him as a person and makes him a very complicated and interesting character as well, because, you know, this is a man with bloody hands. This is a man with a somewhat dark and complicated job. Yeah. And yet with the person he loves most, he that almost all falls away just for just for that one moment where he's with this person who is his world. Um, and so I am grateful for him as a character because I get to explore this character who is a queer man with a, a fantasy role in the world, um, an assassin. He's a total badass. He has the coolest weapon to, to me in the show. And and this part of him that is queer and married to Athari is something that is not hidden. It's actually yeah. the part of him that he is has least on um, the strict the strictest of emotional control. It is something that he is openly yeah. warm to, um, and that means a lot to me. It's I'm I'm very I'm very much happy with him as a, a piece of the Dragon Prince. It's so interesting to me because the way Runan acts in season one, as the, as you described him, is makes perfect sense for for an attitude for an assassin right and then we get this picture of him with Athari and it's like whoa I I have to re kind of frame how I think about Runan because I had no read on that in season one on him being gay and it, and and then when we like it makes so much more sense as we meet Athari as we go into the the backstory and it's like oh and in a way, I wonder if it kind of gives us even more of an understanding as to why he has to be so, quote, hard in season one when he is in assassin mode. It's because that vulnerability that is so free and open when he is with Athari is um, when you are in assassin mode, that vulnerability is akin to like, okay, this is how I, this is my end to getting hurt. Right. And I have to kind of mm -hmm. shut that this off. Could be a weakness. Right? It's, exactly. Yeah. It could be perceived as weakness. And I have to kind of shut all of that softness off so that I can get this really like this job of killing another person done. And it just, it, it was like, oh, uh, it was like open this, like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Um, so again, I'm just kind of theorizing a little bit, I guess, with you. But <laughs> it's no, oh, I think, I think that. That's a good illustration of him. I mean, he, like real people, has a different way of presenting himself depending on the situation he's in. And I think he's just very extreme about it um, by necessity. And I think that makes him complicated. And I think like a lot of fans, despite the fact that he's had a fairly limited role in the show, have really grasped that and, and yeah. find that compelling. And I do too. That's the type of character I love. <laughs> and the thing that I find potentially uh, I asked myself this question is, I, I wonder if we had more of a homophobic culture in this show, if he would have acted differently, right? And if there would have been different, a completely different vibe in both situations because of it, and how would that have changed the character? And what we get is we don't have that. We, don't, we, we, have, we see a world where this is completely normal, and it's like people aren't thinking twice about this. Yeah, um, and it's nice because you don't you don't get to give yourself the read of like, oh, he's emotionally, you know, stoic and yeah. and uh, strict with himself because he's a closeted gay man or anything like exactly. that's absolutely not the case. This is just who he is. And it's not from this place of shame. It's yes. from this place of discipline and duty and reverence for his him, his culture and the way he was brought up. And yeah. I think that that's so I think that's 
I prefer that kind of story to in a fantasy genre to you know a, a sort of rehash of the, the the story about how homophobia affects a person in the real world and it's, here, it's here. freeing because it's you know he is who he is and it's not shaped by a culture trying to squish him into being that and again um, I I think that's what's so important about this this portrayal of queerness in the dragon prince is that we get to see what it's like to live in a world where that's not a factor, right? And that gives us hope for what we can create in our own world. And like, boom, that's, <laughs> that's it's so important. I hope so. <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful. It really is. Wow. He's a favorite. I'm very close to my heart. I'm so glad people appreciate him. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, I was surprised. I this would probably would have been what I would have picked had I chosen one, and so I'm I'm glad that you kind of have lifted that up. Um, Yay! It's, yeah, indulgent, but I'm I couldn't not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries at all. This is all about your perspective. Okay, so we've kind of gotten through everything. This has just been such a wonderful experience, and I would love to have our listeners have a chance to find you if you would like to be found. So is there a, a way, a, a handle, or something where people can find you if people want to, you know, compliment you and say thank you for all of the wonderful work you've done? Sure, I have a Twitter account. It's I'm not super professional on there, so please expect a whole lot of total nonsense um it's at devin Giel. it's d-e-v-o-n-g-i-e-h-l on twitter and i write and draw a lot of original stuff on there so check it out although a lot of the stuff that i post on there is more for grown-ups than it is for the dragon prince audience so just be aware but i think i'm kind of funny on there sometimes um <laughs> i mostly just get into weird like uh fake arguments with ian so if you if you're a dragon prince fan ian's also a writer on it if you want to see us pretend that we hate each other it's a funny bit we do all the time I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. And as everybody knows, you can find us at BNB underscore pod on all the things. And if you're interested in having more conversations like this, you can join our Facebook group and feel free to pose questions to the group members. And we even Sunshine and I will contribute and chip in. So uh, I hope that you'll find us all there. And if you really have enjoyed these Pride episodes, I hope you'll consider supporting us on Patreon at BNB underscore pod. We have a uh, small following of people that are contributing to help continue to make this happen. And we're very thankful. So I appreciate you and I appreciate you, Devin, for being a part of this and helping us continue to put this content out. It's really wonderful. Oh, thank you. It's fantastic. I, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this stuff, especially from the behind the scenes perspective, because like we never get to do that. We, we're, act, we're asked a lot of like, uh, what's going to happen? You know, when is season four coming out? And yeah. it's, it's such a, it's, it's very, very, important to me to be able to talk about like everything that goes into this as well. So I thank you so much for having me. Oh, that's absolutely my pleasure. Oh, okay. Well, with that in mind, uh, thank you so much. And until next time, everyone, be well and do good. <laughs>